Our second scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah. I should take my mask off. There we go. Chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. Please listen for a word from God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for all those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, Therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our heart be pleasing in your sight. May your spirit descend upon us now. Amen. We're continuing in our series of Hebrew 101, Seven Words Christians Should Know, and this is week three, so congratulations, you all are pretty much Hebrew scholars at this point. Our word this week is ruach. Now this word is fairly complicated because it has, it can mean several different things in the Old Testament, but usually it means one of three things, breath, wind, or spirit. I think the first two definitions help us to understand. The third, breath and wind, help us to understand what they mean by spirit. And more specifically, in our passage, it's God's spirit. The term in Hebrew is ruach Adonai. Adonai is, another, is a Hebrew word for God. So there's a bonus Hebrew word. You all just got two today. Congratulations. The Spirit of God is like the wind, the wind that blows through our lives. Mysterious, powerful, all-encompassing. 
It lifts our sails when we are flat. It blows and prunes the dead branches which weigh on our trunks. It sometimes disrupts our lives, causing us to take hold of what matters. The Spirit is also like breath, the breath that we take in and out, signifying that we are alive every moment of every day. Breath means life. God's wind and God's Spirit and God's breath all come into us in order to equip us for the tasks to be done, for the tasks which are at hand. The Israelites are faced with a momentous task in this passage in Isaiah. But for a quick historical background, I want to back up so we can kind of understand what's happening. At one point, the Israelites were a flourishing kingdom. They were wealthy in numbers, wealthy in land, wealthy in resources. Their their power was far-reaching. They had major sway in that region. But they neglected their poor, and they neglected their God. Instead of being a blessing to the world, their selfishness was what reigned supreme. They then faced an attack from the Syrians up north, and they lost half of their kingdom. Only the southern kingdom remained. And as they began to rebuild, several years later, the Babylonians come and completely wipe out the Israelites. They take them from their land, this land that had defined them, from their promised land, and they bring them into exile. Then the Persians come and take over the Babylonians. It's kind of like that, that, that phrase, there's always a bigger fish. And when the Persians take over the Babylonians, King Darius, Darius of Persia receives a message from God and allows the Israelites to return to their promised land, to rebuild their temple, to reclaim the land they had lost. And it's in that time of their return from exile that we find our passage from Isaiah. I'm sure many of the Israelites who are returning just want to go back to normal. They just want to go back to the way things were when they were flourishing, before they were forced out of their homes. I'm sure they thought, let's go back to the golden age, when we were prosperous. Remember King David and King Solomon? Now those, those were the days if we can get, just get back to how we were, then life, life will be good again. But that's not, that's not what they're called to do in this passage. No, instead, when Ruach Adonai, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it says, you cannot help but to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So though their country was prosperous, though they had a great city, the Lord is not recalling them to exactly how they were. The Lord is calling them to respond to how the Spirit is working in their lives. You know, when we talk about the year of our Lord, there are two commands that God gives the Israelites in the first, uh, both in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. The first is to observe the sabbatical year. On the seventh, every seven years, the Lord requires that they take a rest from the land and let the land heal. All people that went into servitude due to debts were released on the seventh year. And not only were the servants released, but in Deuteronomy it states, when you let them go free from you, 
You shall not let them go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing hold, and out of your wine press. So every seven years, they were released. And not only were they merely released, but they were blessed so that they would have dignity and working again. Then, every seventh cycle of seven years, which is about 49 or 50, scholars debate which one it is, but you have your jubilee year. Now, the jubilee year was where all debts were returned. If lands were sold because to pay back a debt, they were given back to the family. All loans were forgiven, and the holiness of God was celebrated. They remembered that they were once slaves in Egypt, but had been set free by God. These laws were to help eliminate generational poverty, to allow people a life of dignity even when they fell on poor times. You can see God's heart for the poor, for the oppressed, and for the cast aside. But there is strong evidence that the Israelites never actually observed either of these commands. Many scholars speculate that this is why judgment befell the nation, why they were cast into exile. With the uprootedness COVID has caused in our life, I'm sure you've uttered the words that I think I find myself uttering every single day. I just want to go back to normal. I just want to go back to the way things were. But what if the way things were weren't good enough? What if the way we structured and lived our lives was not how God was calling us to be? What if God is, was and is today calling us to something more? Calling us to something new? Calling us to something beautiful? I don't know about the rest of you, but I have this terrible, terrible habit of underestimating God. I try to dress it up and, and cover my doubt by merely saying, you know, I just have a critical mind. You know, I'm just deconstructing and looking at all possibilities. I'm really putting that expensive liberal arts education to good work. But when I hear some of the pervasive issues in our country and in our community, my first thought is that's never going to change. There's nothing I can do to help that. Justice will never be enacted. Those who need to be served will never be served. This all feels bigger than God. But this passage in Isaiah tells us the truth about the Spirit of God. The truth that when the Ruach, the Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God is upon us, that we can do miraculous things. That when Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God, is more powerful than any sin, be it individual, institutional, systemic, that Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God, is the hope in the midst of despair. That Ruach Adonai brings life from the ashes. That Ruach Adonai gives us the power to love when we feel like we have nothing left. That Ruach Adonai gives us energy when it feels like it's getting sapped from us every single day. That Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God, changes the world, and we have been endowed with the power to change the world towards justice and love and grace. So let us seek Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God, and not merely return to the way things were, but let us create something new. 
Let us not seek the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God, where grace lives, where love flows, where justice is enacted, where mercy is everywhere. There's a story by Jean Giono, and he tells the story of a young man in his early 20s traveling. And he's traveling between towns, and he realizes he's not going to make it to his next town, so he stops in this podunk rinky village. The village only has three or four shacks. The out, out and about, the air is tepid, it's harsh winds, there's not much growing there, it's just kind of an ugly place. But knowing he's not going to make it, he seeks out hospitality somewhere, and he runs across an older man who invites him to dinner and then to spend the night. The older man's name was Elizard Buffer. So the young man stayed the night and talked with Elizard most of the night, and the next day, Elizard um, goes out to plant some seeds, some acorns, and and the uh, young man comes with him. And he's astonished that Elizard takes this iron pole and acorns and carefully and slowly plants each and every one. Elizard explains that he has been doing this for the past five years and he's planted over 100,000 oak trees. But the reality is only about one-tenth will grow. Only about 10,000 oaks will grow. The young man finds this incredible and heads on his journey. The Great War, World War I, happens a few years later, and the young man, after experiencing so much death and reading about all the horrible things that have happened in the Western world at that point, he decides he needs to go find some life. So he goes back to that little tiny village. And Elizard is out there, and some of the oaks now are little saplings. They're about as tall as he is, and he knows that Elizard is now working with beech trees on how he can reproduce beech trees. The young man bids Elizard farewell and thanks him for another evening and goes back to his life. About 25 years later, the Second World War comes, and this time the young man has to serve in that war, and he experiences many atrocities and death all around him, and he gets out and he thinks, I need to go back to Elizard. So he heads back to this rinky-dinky small town, but when he gets there, he doesn't really recognize it. Those three shacks have become twelve homes, plastered and fine. There's a fountain in the courtyard of the town. There are gardens. There are voices of children and young families have moved in. The once harsh air is now a cool breeze, for a forest of oaks and beech surround the small village. Elizard is 75 years old, and he has done all he can, planted the trees that he can, and transformed this village. And the young man concludes this. He says, When I reflect that one man, armed only with his own physical and moral resources, was able to cause this land of Canaan to spring from the wasteland, I was convinced that in spite of everything, humanity is admirable. But when I compute the unfailing greatness of spirit and the tenacity of benevolence that it must take to achieve this result, I am taken with an immense respect for that old and unlearned peasant who was able to complete a work 
worthy of God. Beloved in Christ, God will make the gardens grow. God will bring forth the oak trees of justice. God will make the beech trees of love flourish. God will transform the barren land into a lush garden. But what you are called to do is to trust Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God, and to go out with your bag of acorns and plant each one with the hope that God will make them grow and the courage that something new will spring forth. Thanks be to God. Amen.